0: Hi, this is Ann Robertson, the pastor of the United Methodist Church of Westford in Westford, Massachusetts. And this is the sermon from Monday Thursday on April thirteenth. We had an evening service at seven thirty PM, sort of the usual service. It was we had communion, we had a good turnout. We do on Monday Thursday, if there isn't a good Friday service, we sort of combine those two services and two events. So this is the sermon from what is last night as I'm podcasting this on good friday and the sermon is called the gospel of judas maybe you've heard in the news about the recent finding of the gospel of judas which was an early gnostic text and because maundy thursday is a night when we often remember the night that jesus was betrayed i thought it was a good night to talk about the betrayer and some of the theories about him and to address the peace that has been in the news so that's what the sermon is about And thank you for subscribing to the podcast.
1: In the news, at least, Judas has had a pretty good week. With the well-timed release of information about the discovery of the first known copy of the ancient Gospel of Judas, the man that the New Testament portrays as the betrayer of Jesus, and that Dante put in the very lowest level of hell, is getting a second look. And on this night, When the betrayal of Judas is reenacted in churches across the globe, I thought maybe we should take some time to look at him. We've known about the Gospel of Judas for a very long time. The second century bishop of France, Irenaeus, speaks out against it so that we know that it existed in at least 180 AD. We just never found a copy until last fall. The document that was found is a copy of the Greek document that was translated into Coptic, which is Egyptian written in the Greek alphabet. It was done a couple of centuries after the original and preserved in the dry Egyptian sands. It's one of the Gnostic Gospels, which means it comes from a religious tradition that believed salvation could be attained through a secret knowledge that was only passed along to initiates. If you've seen some of the news reports, you can see that the Gospel of Judas is in fragments, which means a lot of the text has to be guessed at. But the parts we can read are interesting enough. The Gospel of Judas does agree with the New Testament Gospels on some of the basics. The Gospel of Judas affirms that Jesus was divine. It does admit that Judas played a key role in the arrest and therefore the subsequent crucifixion of Jesus. As I understand it from the reports and the things on the web that I've read, it's not trying to say that Jesus didn't die, like some of the Gnostic traditions do, or that death wasn't part of the divine plan, or that Jesus was merely human. The thing that's strikingly different about the Gospel of Judas is the motive that it gives to Judas for the betrayal. The Bible doesn't have across the board a clear answer to why Judas chose to betray Jesus. The Gospel of John tells us that Satan entered into him and with a sideways swipe at Judas for stealing money from the treasury, John seems to point to monetary greed as a motivation. For John, the devil dangled 30 pieces of silver in front of Judas's nose and Judas took the bait. But I can't believe that John's explanation completes the picture because Judas doesn't end up satisfied with his monetary gain. He returns the money, as Brianna just read. Not grudgingly, he throws it back at him in the temple and then he goes out and he kills himself. Whatever Judas thought he was doing in handing Jesus over to the authorities it doesn't seem like he was planning on the subsequent condemnation and death of Jesus. Judas is so distraught over the results of his actions that he can't go on living, and he hangs himself in agony. Whatever else may have been going on in his mind, it's clear to me that Judas didn't think that 30 pieces of silver was worth more than the life of Jesus. Well, what was he thinking? The Gospel of Judas claims that he was being obedient, that Jesus asked Judas to turn him in. This new document claims that Judas was actually one of, the only one of the 12 to really get it, to understand Jesus' mission, and so he was the one chosen for this important task. Well, what of that? Certainly, the New Testament Gospels show that the betrayal of Jesus was not a surprise to Jesus. John, who reports that he was seated right next to Jesus at the Last Supper and could have heard Jesus well, reports that Jesus mysteriously says to Judas, Go, do quickly what you're going to do, like he knows already. Judas then leaves the room to the befuddlement of the rest of the disciples and carries out the task. In other places in the accepted Gospels, Jesus also indicates that the betrayal is an act that must happen for the divine plan to be fulfilled. And Heather read that for you earlier. So who knows? While I think it's a stretch to believe the claim of the Gospel of Judas that Judas was the most intimate disciple of Jesus, on many occasions that seems to be reserved for Peter, James, and John, it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility that Judas was fulfilling a role that had been set out for him. But that's not the only theory in town Judas bore the name of a Jewish hero named Judas Maccabeus, who in the second century B.C. had led the armies of Israel to defeat Syria's oppressive rule of Palestine and established a period of self-rule for Israel. That self-rule was very short-lived. And by the time of Jesus, Palestine was under foreign control again, this time from Rome. And it makes perfect sense to me that someone who bore the name of Judas and who found himself chosen to be one of the select twelve of Jesus' inner circle, might come to think that he had some sort of parallel destiny to that first Judas. Remember, too, that the common expectation of the Messiah in Jesus' day was that the Messiah would be a political and a military hero that, like Moses of old, would physically save the Hebrew people from captivity. It's possible in Judas Iscariot to see a man of action, passionate for his country, who's frustrated at Jesus' inaction. He might have believed that a revolt similar to the Maccabean revolt is just around the corner, and that Jesus and the twelve disciples will be the heroes that rid Israel of Rome. There was talk of greatness going on. You remember John and James arguing amongst them about who would be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom. Some have suggested that Judas was trying to force Jesus' hand. Judas had seen the miracles. Tensions in the group were rising. Jesus seemed to be preparing the 12 for something momentous as they came into the capital city of Jerusalem, Jesus riding on the donkey, people shouting Hosanna, shouting things about a new king. In that scenario, Judas alerts the authorities to Jesus' whereabouts so that Jesus will be forced to take the military action that Jesus knew he must have been planning all along. But something goes terribly wrong. Jesus doesn't stand up to the soldiers and lead a revolt. When one of the disciples pulls out a sword to begin the battle, cuts off someone's ear, Jesus doesn't lead the charge, but tells him to put his sword away. This isn't a revolution that's about swords and death. If I had to guess, I would say that in this theory, Judas' horror and remorse began with the command, put away your swords. Judas knew in that moment he'd misjudged. Jesus was not what Judas had thought. He was not the Messiah after all, he believed. He was simply a kind man, a prophet perhaps, a friend that now Judas had sent to his death. It was too much to bear. Whether you take John at his word that Judas was a greedy thief open to the influence of the devil, whether you buy the claim of the gospel of Judas that he was simply acting out of obedience to Christ's command, or whether you believe that he honestly thought he was helping Jesus' cause by forcing him to act, one thing is clear. At least from Judas' perspective, something went terribly wrong. The suicide of Judas shows that whether he intended or thought something else would happen, whatever that was, it was not the brutal death of the one he, like the others, had left everything to follow. Judas hangs himself before Jesus even ascends Mount Calvary. The suicide of Judas is the thing that makes me cast the most doubt on the claim of the Gospel of Judas, that Judas was the only disciple who got it. Judas isolated himself almost as soon as the deed was done, and he sank to the depths of despair. Here again, we don't really know his motive. If the gospel of Judas is right, maybe he took his life because he was angry at Jesus for making him a name that would be hated forever. We don't name our kids Judas anymore as they once did. Maybe he thought that in being closest to Jesus, they would come for him next. Maybe in the mystical tradition of the Gnostics, he thought he was freeing his soul from this dreadful body and would soon greet Jesus in spirit. A kind of suicide pact. We've seen some of those in our day. But the New Testament doesn't paint the suicide as a peaceful anticipation of something better. Maybe he realized his plans had gone terribly wrong and he hung himself in shame. Maybe he realized the magnitude of his sin and believed there could be no forgiveness for a sin so great. None of those possible motivations for suicide was the truth. Had Judas made a different choice and waited out the next few days, I believe he would have found forgiveness and joy like all the rest. Who knows? Maybe Judas the betrayer and Peter the denier might have had equally prominent places in the ministry and the church to come. God has picked unlikely people like that before. But Judas didn't truly get it. He'd missed the core message of God's love and forgiveness for even the worst of sinners. Whatever Judas might have understood about the necessity of Jesus' death, he'd missed that part about rising again to new and everlasting life life that has the potential for joy in the here and now, within matter and within history, and not just in the spiritual life beyond. And so on this night when Jesus was betrayed, we also remember the betrayer, and we search our own souls. Like the disciples, we ask, Surely not I, Lord. Is it I? And right we are to ask it. Because, of course, it's us. And our motives are as unfathomable as those of Judas. Sometimes we think we're doing the right thing. It just turns out all wrong. Sometimes we try to push our agenda and discover that God had something different in mind. Sometimes we're greedily focused on gain when Jesus is trying to tell us to give it all up. Sometimes we're being truly obedient, but can't cope with the scorn of those who see it differently. There's a part in all of us that wants to save Judas, to make him less of a villain than he's been painted across the centuries. And I think we do that because we know he's in all of us. To save Judas is in a way to save ourselves. And it seems from this gospel we just found that Christians began trying that at least as early as the second century A.D. Isn't there some other way for Judas? And to all of us, both the New Testament and the gospel of Judas have something to tell us as we wonder about this betrayer whether he's good or whether he's evil, whether the devil entered in, whether there was some other motive. But there's a gospel in all of it. There's something that Jesus has to tell us. There's a secret, a mystery, something so wonderfully strange that even when you hear it, you won't believe it. But you'll have to trust for a few days. Whatever you've done, Don't despair. Trust in the Lord and lean not to your own understanding. Judas didn't know it, but what seems unredeemable and horrible and the most awful thing that anyone could imagine has happened. We've betrayed our Lord to death. His broken body and his shed blood are right there. Weep and repent of your sins. Yes, do. Peter did after he denied Jesus. But don't despair as Judas did. I'm telling you, you won't believe the news. It's death now, I know. But come back Sunday, here to the tomb, and hear the mystery of faith. Even those who have betrayed him will rejoice. Amen.
0: Thanks for subscribing to Spirit Walker Sermons. If you're ever in the area, stop in for worship at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 10 Church Street in Westford, Massachusetts. I'd love to have you stop by my website at www.anrobertson.com where you can also subscribe to a weekly devotion which you can receive either as an email or a podcast. I'd love to hear from you via email at ann at Thanks again for subscribing and I hope your week is filled with God's blessings.